When you meet someone, do you wonder about their story? If you're like me, you're always interested in the lives, hopes, and dreams of people. Stories Connect People podcast will bring you interesting, inspiring, and compelling stories from people just like you and me. Stories that will inspire you. They'll make you laugh. You'll learn. They might even make you cry. But above all, you will feel connected and closer to the people around you. You may see yourself in these stories. You may feel connected because you share similarities in your own journey. There are rich, interesting stories closer than you think, maybe even yours. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People. I am Polly Van Duzer, your host. My guest today on Stories Connect People podcast is Will Conway. Will shares about his life growing up, and as a young professional, he was doing really well. He was engaged to be married, and life was good. Yet he began to feel like something was missing. He had lost some of himself, and he wasn't allowing his own story to come through. He was focused so much on sharing the story of others, he had not focused on sharing his own story. Will decided to leave everything behind and set out to explore the world. This led to incredible experiences, meeting amazing people that showed him how beautiful people could be, and it led to some incredible, moving, and life-changing experiences. We'll share some of those stories and how he learned about human empathy and authenticity. He has turned those stories into a podcast, Baggage Claim, Travel Stories No One Tells, and a Facebook community, Authentic Travelers. I describe Will as being pretty cool. You will see for yourself. So welcome, Will, to Stories Connect People podcast. Hello, Will. How are you today? Welcome to Stories Connect People podcast. Thank you for having me, Polly. It's great to be here. I'm doing doing great. Will. So Will Conway is here with me today. And so, you know, I have had so many interesting guests on Stories Connect People podcast, but a word that describes Will when I met him before uh, doing the recording today is that he's super cool. (laughs) And so I can't wait for you to get to know him. That is less than true, but I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to label you cool. But uh, I guess what is cool is you did something that I and and so many other people would never do. And it will certainly I will say certainly that I would never do. But almost two years ago, I guess it's going on two years, right? You quit your job and kind of left your life as you knew it, and you went to explore the world. And so I am so excited to hear about that journey for you and just some of the things that you learned about people and your travel and life and yourself. I guess there would be so many things you probably discover about yourself when you take a journey like that. Um, but you also began a podcast out of that called Baggage Claim, and it's all about telling travel stories, right? So I can't wait for us to talk all about that. So again, welcome. 
Yeah, thank you for having me. That was a, a very lovely introduction. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll happily give sort of a quick synopsis. In um, the spring of 2019, I felt like I had what I was supposed to have. I was in my late 20s. I was 28 years old at the time. And uh, I was engaged to be married. I had a job that I'd, you know, a 10-year long career that I'd sort of built up and felt really comfortable and confident in. And uh, just kind of woke up one day and realized that they're, I don't know, I think this happens to folks in their late 20s. They're sort of far enough away from the traditional path, right? They're, they're far enough away from their formal education, from their first job, from knowing sort of what they're supposed to be doing. And uh, then you get to your late 20s, you're a couple, a couple uh, steps down the road, and you can start to hear the clock ticking. And all of a sudden, you realize that this thing doesn't go on forever. You have a limited period of time here, and uh, you better be making the most of it. So I realized kind of in that moment that everything I'd done up until that point was really oriented around like what I guess I could call like the 10-year reunion phenomenon, the idea of like what... What am I going to be thought of when I show up at my 10-year high school reunion, right? That's so interesting that you said, because people totally think that. You know, what are people going to think about what I've accomplished? Right, right. And so the result was I looked good on paper, professionally and personally. I was engaged to be married. I like all these things. The career was kind of where I wanted it. But the result, I just wasn't happy because I wasn't being true to myself. And... um I didn't necessarily know that getting on an airplane and going to South America would solve that problem, <laughs> but uh, I had a feeling that it would help me open myself up to being a little more vulnerable and real, um, and that turned out to be true. So in the summer of 2019, I booked a one-way plane ticket to Colombia and uh, spent from July of 2019 through to the beginning of the coronavirus, uh, exploring South America, moving south uh, from Colombia down and into Brazil, and had what I can only describe as a life-changing experience, but primarily because it opened me up to understanding how other people operate in the world. Um, really developing a sense of compassion for people of different uh, persuasions, both in South America, but also, you know, in hostels and various places, I mean, tons of Europeans and Asian folks and everything else. And, um, and then just like the reality that everybody is pretty much the same at some core atomic level, we're all just being people. And uh, there's some beauty in that. And then that helped me open up, uh, a sort of a new level of authenticity. So baggage claim, the, the podcast is really about that story. Well, I love that intro. And I want to take you back a yeah. little bit before that. I want just talk a couple of minutes about what was the young life like for Will? Where did you grow up? And, and you know, kind of what was your family life like? Can you share a little bit about that just as a, a little bit of foundation for us? I mean, were you adventurous? Were you... Kind of what were you like in high school? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So the word. Since you're talking about high school reunion. <laughs> yeah. No, the word you used at the beginning, the idea of um, me being cool. Anybody who maybe stumbles on this, who knew me in high school is going to be like, that is not that guy. <laughs> 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 um, no, I was, uh, 
I grew up in suburban Connecticut, uh, about an hour outside New York City, in a sort of like upper middle class, traditional white picket fence, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think I was particularly adventurous, to be honest with you. The, the travel thing sort of came out of nowhere. Um, I always had a passion for storytelling. So the fact that I'm doing baggage claim and telling stories in that way isn't particularly surprising to me. Um, but I was, I like wrote for the local town newspaper. Um, I was the editor of the yearbook. I was like in that sort of vein. And then I, people who are listening to this can't see me, but I look like I should be a jock, but I'm comically unathletic. It's almost ridiculous. <laughs> so I've, every field I've showed up on, I've made the team and immediately been benched. That's like my trajectory in <laughs> athletics. <laughs> yeah. Not great. Not great. Uh, so um, a little bit around your career, uh, talk a little bit about that. And, you know, you felt like you were kind of at the, you know, really great place in your career and you had done really well, but still you didn't, um, you weren't fulfilled like you wanted to be maybe in some of the other areas of your life. Yeah, I, um, my, so my early career was directly in politics. I worked on campaigns. Uh, and then I went to work for a software company called Nation Builder, which is if you've ever done something like sign up on a campaign website, donated money, engaged in some way, or volunteers knocked on your door and asked you what your stance is on education or any of these things. Nation Builder is sort of this underlying software that helps campaigns, nonprofits, organizations sort of build um, their relationships with people. So my whole career was really oriented around helping other people, whether it was campaigns that I was working on or the organizations I was working at while I was with Nation Builder or Nation Builder itself is sort of a mission driven company. It was all oriented around helping other folks tell their stories. This goes back years, by the way, when I was a little kid, uh, my brother and I started playing guitar on the same day. And my brother went on to become a professional musician and I quit guitar three weeks later, but I was the guy like building his website and sort of like designing all his little things. And so, Oh, there's a coffee shop down the street. They have an open mic. You should show up when he was like 10, 11 years old, those types of things. I love it. Yeah. So, but there's, there was something sort of in my DNA around seeing somebody who has a passion for something and helping them take it to the world. But the result was, I all of a sudden realized like I wasn't telling my own story. I wasn't being authentic to who I was. And so I think that was part of, I don't think I could have summarized it in quite that way in the sort of spring of 2019 moment. But I think that's what I was feeling was this lack of authenticity and a lack of sort of commitment to telling my own story. You said on your website, I think it was, um, or read somewhere, that in March of 2019, your life fell apart. And so what does that mean, your life fell apart? You, do you, are you talking about making the decision to kind of put put everything, you know, your career and, and um, your engagement and all of that? Are you talking about that? Or to kind of uh, talk a little bit about what you mean by that. Yeah, uh, the easiest place to start it's a little heavy is so I got engaged in February and I was single by April 
and that was not my intention. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that the relationship, I think, I don't know, I think this thing happens when you recognize that uh, you've just made the commitment to spend forever with somebody. Yeah. Um, it takes on a new weight. And it wasn't necessarily her fault. It wasn't mine. Uh, but we ultimately made the decision to go separate ways. And I really in that relationship felt like I had grown more as a person than I ever had in the past. Um, and I, I had a fear, I think, in that moment that I had grown interdependent or codependent with her and that, that that progress that I had made would maybe, you know, three steps forward, four steps back situation. And so I came out of that relationship trying to re-identify who I was before the relationship and what components of our relationship I really um, I really liked and wanted to carry into the future in terms of who I had become in that time. Uh, so I think that was that was the driving force in terms of having the moment in time and the catalyst to be able to to make a decision to go. Um, because also this thing happens when you get engaged, you're like, okay, this is what my life is going to be in the future. And then when you break up, you're like, okay, my life isn't going to be that. And about six weeks later, you say, oh, my life isn't going to be that. I can do anything. I can just hit full reset. And uh, I definitely wasn't over it when I made that decision, but I had moved into a sort of headspace thinking about myself and, and my own future. And that took a little bit of time. That is deep and it is beautiful and it is inspiring how, you know, you kind of came out of uh, that and, you know, so much that you learned about yourself. And so, you know, you leaving um, kind of all of that behind in your career and everything and, and to um, take this uh, journey that you did. I mean, to me, it's bold, it's courageous, it's risky, it's scary. It's something, like I said, most people would never do. I mean, I'm such a planner. So you bought a one-way ticket to Columbia. And so why Columbia? And just, you know, you, you gave a little bit of um, preview into that, but start from there. Yeah, I would like to say I had some visionary reason why I launched from Columbia. Um, honestly, flights to Cartagena at the time were crazy cheap, like $150. That's a good reason. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought a, I bought a one-way plane ticket to Cartagena. And uh, decided to move south from there and couldn't be happier about the call. I, mean, I always did, and I'm being a little self-deprecating there, South America always kind of had a draw on me. When I was uh, 16 years old, I went on a mission trip to Ecuador with my school. It, it was, you know, a week long. It wasn't anything particularly insane, but it definitely made a sort of lasting impression on me. And I felt that I liked culturally the way that South America operated. Um, and so that that was a part of it. I had a desire to learn and explore more. I felt like I had a window in, but I didn't really know what I was talking about. Um, and I would say that another, another reason was a little more practical was a desire to learn Spanish. <laughs> um, so those, those would be the reasons. Cheap flight, 
a trip a long, long time ago and uh, desire for Spanish. So you started in Colombia and then what, how long did you stay there? The different places you went, did you have, you know, did you know how long you were going to stay? You got there, you explored around. I just, I want to hear all about that. Yeah. Yeah. I spent uh, about two and a half months in Colombia. I started, Colombia is very, if folks haven't been, it's a very, um, it's a much more diverse country in terms of geography and sort of the different areas of the country than I had known or expected coming in. So you have Northern Colombia, which is very Caribbean. It's very, uh, it, it presents similarly to the Bahamas in a cultural sense, right? Um, and then as you move south, the temperature drops. It's more of like a temperate climate in places like Medellin. Uh, well, Bogota, Medellin is a little hotter. Um, these sort of rolling, beautiful mountains. And the culture shifts a little bit. Um, there's something about the city of Medellin that drew me in and I really fell in love with. Um, and I ended up staying in Medellin a lot longer than I intended. I stayed in Medellin. I was supposed to be there for maybe a week. And I ended up there for about six, <laughs> six wow. weeks. Wow. Um, and then... Uh, so Medellin, I'm happy to talk more about, but then I there was sort of unchronologically, I took a, a trip to Brazil to meet a friend um, for a brief period of time. He has he was a huge Red Hot Chili Peppers fan. They were playing Rock and Rio, so we went, <laughs> we went to that. Then I flew back to Colombia, and then uh, and from there I moved south, and the trip got a little crazy. I was supposed to go to Ecuador. Ecuador sort of fell into some political turmoil at the time. This is October of uh, 2019. And I decided the way around Ecuador for me would be through the Amazon rainforest and into Peru. So I, an Irish guy who I had traveled with for a little while and I um, flew down to a city called Leticia, which is right on the Amazon River and took this old dilapidated ferry down the Amazon River about wow. 200 miles from a city called Leticia to a city called Iquitos in Peru. And uh, that was one of the most bizarre and intense and boring and cool, weird four days I've ever had. Now, were you by yourself doing this? Uh, yeah. I'd, or had I'd, you uh, met people by then? No, I, yeah, so on the, for that part of it, I had met this uh, Irish guy when I was in Medellin, and we had known each other for a week or two, so we, we chose to go down together. But, uh, you know, it's a white American or an Irish guy on a boat full of uh, sort of like blue-collar workers from Colombia, Brazil, and Peru on a boat down the Amazon River. That was, that was pretty wild four days. So what's something interesting that was wild about that? Oh, yeah, so... First of all, there's no beds, there's no cabins, there's none of that. You in in Leticia, we bought hammocks, and they have kind of like piping over the uh, just in the in the uh, inside of this boat, and we so you hang up your hammock, and there's no place to go. You're just in your hammock for four days, and uh, that it gets a little smelly. I'm not going to lie to you. It doesn't help that the shower doesn't work. And that I, the bathroom, I walked into the bathroom and I got hit in the chest 
with a moth the size of a canary one day. So any desire to clean myself ran out the door pretty quickly <laughs> at that point. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That yes, is, that was wild. That's crazy. So so there you um, slept, it sounded like, in a hammock and went on that um, trip and that was where you were. But did you, um, norm- did you backpack every day? Did you stay in hotels or hostels or... Um, was it kind of like, you know, people early in college and backpacking across the, the, across Europe, or was it like kind of what, what was the situation like for you? Yeah. By and large backpacking and staying in hostels with limited exception. So that time in the Amazon, I ended up in huts in random villages that don't show up on Google maps for quite a while. (laughs) So that, that, uh, that happened. Yeah, so I spent a fair amount of time road tripping down the coast of Chile as well, and then we had we had bought tents, so we just posted up at any random intersection on on this very very rural highway uh, in the middle of Chile, and uh, we spent about three or four weeks doing that. So that's pretty cool too. As South America tends to skew older in terms of the backpackers that you'll meet by comparison to Southeast Asia is kind of the, the traditional, it's what the American kids are doing these days, like 22, 23 years old. Um, Europe a little bit, but Europe's obviously very expensive and Southeast Asia has an allure. South America is much more folks my age. So I would say it was probably average 25 to even mid thirties was, was pretty run of the mill. Of all of the places that you traveled, what was your favorite or maybe most interesting or you have the most interesting story? Yeah, for sure. So I have sort of a two-way emotional bond with both Colombia and Chile uh, for similar reasons. It's both oriented around the people because um, Peru is actually probably more spectacular than Colombia just in terms of geography and what the, the place looks like physically. Um, but there's Colombia and Northern Chile, which is where I spend a lot of time. Patagonia is in the South and that's a little more touristy, but by and large, they're not particularly touristy. So you'll end up in little places and the idea of a stranger coming to their home is beautiful. Like they're very inviting and warm and friendly. And, uh, so for that reason, I found a, a particularly strong connection with those two places, Colombia has an extra layer to that, which is Medellin, the city I named a a few minutes ago. About 30 years ago, I think it was 1989 or 1988, Time Magazine named Medellin the most dangerous city on the planet. This is in the middle of Pablo Escobar, sort of the rise of cartels in, uh, in Colombia. And Pablo Escobar sort of was dismantled in various ways, but there were other cartels that rose. And then you had Medellin sort of built their metro system, which it's the only one in Colombia. It's one of a small handful in South America. I think like Rio has one as well. Um, But that happened in 1995 and that did so much for the economy of Medellin. And so people, tourists coming back to Colombia is like celebrated as a sign of the country returning to some sense of stability and safety and security. 
uh, because they didn't have that for decades and decades. And um, so it's it's been safe to travel to Colombia for about 10 years, 15 years, really. Um, but you show up and people are so accommodating. They're so happy you're there. And they're like, oh my God, American guy. And they're very inviting and friendly. And so there's something beautiful about that in Colombia, just seeing people really appreciative. Uh, the most recent episode of my podcast, as of the time of us <laughs> recording this, is um, an episode about me and a friend uh, taking a bike ride or taking a moped ride through the hills outside Medellin, about an hour and a half outside Medellin. And we had to return the mopeds. You know, it's early afternoon, it's kind of getting time to head back. We still have like an hour to kill. And my buddy pulls off and says, Hey, next time we pass a bar, you just well, let's just grab a drink and then we'll return the mopeds. We have a little, little time to kill. I was like, oh, it sounds like a great idea. And so but we're in the middle of nowhere. It's these big rolling hills, this beautiful sky, and these these expansive green valleys with like cows grazing. Sounds beautiful. Yeah, oh, stunning, stunning. Um, but eventually we passed this place, and there was the beer in Colombia, the sort of like Bud Light of Colombia is this beer called Aguila. And uh, we see this, the yellow and blue signage of this beer company. And so we turn around and double back to that place. And it's very much not a bar. It's like, there's a lot of this in South America. There's like people who have a home and they'll invite you in, like sell you beer and that type of thing. And it was, it was that situation. So we showed up, pulled off our helmets and they were like, Oh my God, two white guys. This is weird. (laughs) And uh, so we came in, ended up having this incredibly lovely conversation with this family, Um, two little kids putting the Tonka trucks on the ground and, the the father, the sort of patriarch of the family, was telling us in Spanish, which at that time my Spanish was abysmal, so I was only barely keeping pace, but uh, it was telling us how our arrival just spurred something in him because he was, you know, in his 50s at the time, 40s, and he had, he had never seen white people there. He had, like, been to Medellin and seen white people before, but he'd never seen white people in his area of the country, which to him... Much less his home. Yeah, right. So we ended up just having this beautiful experience, and at the end, he sort of made an origami. Um, the origami is probably not what it was, but origami style rose out of a napkin in his kitchen, and like gave it to us and said "pera ti," which is like for you in Spanish. We were like crying. It was the most beautiful hour of my life. <laughs> that was wild. Yeah. So yeah, there's there was just some appreciation that was happening in Colombia, and uh, you get that too in northern Chile, and there's there was something beautiful about that. You know, you left kind of the you know the all the material things behind. I mean, you would have to do that to travel around like you have, but you get so much enrichment from experiences, and we love to do experience type things. But how have these experience experiences enriched your life oh it i'm i'm a different person now than i was before i traveled travel makes you a different person it absolutely does i there there are a couple particular items i can pinpoint and there's a lot more happening in the in the details that i can't quite identify so i apologize but the the biggest thing for me was finding a certain level of authenticity in myself in the way i communicated 
baggage claim is a story of vulnerability. Like the idea of putting out a show where I admit to certain flaws in myself and shortcomings and failures and various things. I never would have done that. I never would have done that a couple of years ago. And I'm spending a lot of time right now trying to build community of people who see the world in sort of a similar way, many of whom have traveled. Some people are fortunate enough to have found that beauty without travel. I don't know how they figured that one out, but there's something incredible about just the silly moments of travel where you have a conversation that lasts six or seven hours with somebody you've never met, and then you say goodbye the next day. And so you just like open up yourself and give a piece of yourself to that person. And there's, there's beauty in that. So any, any commitment to reciprocity or I did this for you and therefore just completely dead. And the number of people who did beautiful things for me for absolutely no reason whatsoever um, was was really everybody who had a moment or opportunity to. So that, from my perspective, was just seeing the goodness of humanity makes you step up your own game or hope or try to step up your own game in a way that I found uh, really powerful. That's incredibly beautiful. And so you saw such goodness in the in people and in you know these areas and how inviting and welcoming people are and just happy. I mean that story about the man being so happy to have you in his home. Um, how do you bring that back into your life and you know kind of how are you different now as you relate to other people? Yeah, I not to bring politics into it too much, but coming back to the US, in the moment that I came back, which is the beginning of coronavirus, and then to experience the ensuing, I guess we're nine months down the road from that. Um, that was that was definitely eye opening, and I've really spent a lot of time committing myself to listening. I think listening to to people is the most important thing, most important and undervalued skill. And that goes hand in hand with the way you choose to show up in the world because people tend to follow. Like people will follow when you communicate effectively, right? So me launching the podcast, me deciding to tell a story of my own failures and eventual hopeful maybe successes, (laughs) and then uh, developing and building community around that is what I'm trying to do. That's my little corner of the world. that I'm trying to make a better place. Um, I actually just launched the Facebook group for my, for my thing today, which is very authentic travelers. I'm going to join your community. That's great. I would love it. I would love it. That never would be, I, mean, I love adventurous travel, but <laughs> I would never go on a, on an, uh, you know, a journey like yours, but I just love travel so much. And so, um, you don't even really have to be this this is a bizarre phenomenon I've experienced. Okay. Is I can't obviously I can't recreate recreate the experience for you of what it was like for me in Colombia, but I can actually get closer than I was expecting to. I'm not the best storyteller. I like to think I'm a good storyteller. And I've found that the people who connect the most with the work I'm doing aren't necessarily travelers. Some of them are, but the people who are into it 
are people who care about that human interaction. They care about the the weird grit that happens in the moment of two people who don't know each other trying to build something together. And uh, and that's that's what I care about. So yeah, it's all it's all in the sort of world of travel, just because that's how I discovered it. Um, but that's I I think the thing is actually much more about humanity than it is, it is about sunsets and beautiful views and all the traditional things you get on Instagram. You're exactly right, and it is about learning about the people, and I'm sure you experienced the culture in such an incredible way and got to know, you know, people and just kind of what their life was like. And that's, uh, whereas a kind of a tourist for a week, you don't really, you don't really see that as much. So. Yeah. And there's, um, there's an additional very real constraint there, which is budget. Like if you're traveling for a long time, you're going to, you're going to spend a fair amount of money and you're trying to save constantly. So you don't fly from here and here to there. You take buses, you don't uh, stay in hotels, you stay in hostels and all that results in a, sort of grittiness to the experience and meeting people who are um, of all walks of life from all different places. And it's just, you sit down next to uh, a 75 year old Colombian guy on a bus and end up in the most bizarre and incredible conversation. Like that part of it is just, uh, I love that. I want to ask you what was like, I mean, did you have scary moments where you're just out on your own um, or, or so maybe answer that or either like, what was the most unexpected thing for you or maybe answer both? Yeah, for sure. So I have two stories, both of which I think kind of answer both questions. Perfect. We'll start with, uh, we'll start with one of them. Um, it's an episode on my podcast called Purple Shirt. I tackle this sort of odd moment that I had that I still don't quite know how to categorize in my brain which is, I was coming back from, so Colombia has a Pacific coast, which there's the Caribbean coast in the north, and you have the Pacific coast over on the, over on the western um, coastline. And every August, there's this phenomenon where whales migrate up the coast, and so you can go whale watching, and it's awesome. And so I went and did that, and I stayed at this little... Um, it was a hostel, but it was this sort of funky hostel where you sleep in hammocks and like there's monkeys running around and like cats eating my, it was just a really cool couple of days. And so I was very much in that headspace that just kind of like hang out and go cliff jumping headspace. And I got on a boat to go back and the city that you go through is called Buenaventura. And I described some of the Colombian history a little while ago. Buenaventura is years and years behind the rest of Colombia for a handful of reasons. One of which is that it's geographically removed by a mountain range from the rest of the country. Um, and it's right on the, right on the sort of edge of a Colombian jungle where FARC, which is a sort of militant rebel group, uh, still has a lot of sway. Buenaventura is also the lar- this I think the large second largest port in Colombia, and so cartels still smuggle drugs out of Buenaventura. All these different factors have sort of come together to make Buenaventura one of the most dangerous places still in the world. So, a, a statistic that I think is indicative here: 
is the uh, so a homicide rate is usually uh, calculated by murders per hundred thousand. Um, a city like New York, which is considered relatively safe in the U.S., is is at around three. It's like two point eight or two point nine uh, per hundred thousand. So that means on a year, two to three people get murdered. That's not good, obviously, but it's considered relatively safe. In the U.S., in more dangerous cities, going to come in 30, 20, 25, something like that. Buenaventura comes in at like 150, which is roughly the same as like wartime Baghdad. Mm-hmm. So Buenaventura is very scary and very dangerous. And I was only passing through to get to the bus terminal, take a bus back up to Medellin. And I had about six hours to go on the bus terminal. It's a 12-hour bus ride. There's only one a day. And... I stepped outside the terminal for a cigarette and this woman approached me and started speaking fluent English, which in context in this place was completely unheard of. It was to the point that I was outside the bus terminal as a white guy and my cars were slowing down and people are yelling at me just because I existed. So she started speaking fluent English and it became quite evident quite quickly that she was sort of navigating the conversation towards a pitch of some kind. You know, where are you from? Um, what brings you to Colombia? What brings you to Buenaventura, et cetera, et cetera. And then that sort of led her down this rabbit hole of saying, Do you, would you want to go on a tour of Buenaventura with me and my brother, some mysterious brother, right? never heard of and i my alarm bell started to go off in my head it felt she was starting to ask invasive questions around which bus i was on and various things so i said no and then she just pulled the cell phone from her pocket and uh spoke into the phone and said yeah his name is will he's wearing a purple shirt and then she just left and so i just had this moment of like Maybe that was okay, but I don't think it was. And so for like six hours, I just hid in a bathroom, <laughs> like straight up, like standing on the toilet, sweating. A guy came into the bathroom at one point and I had a meltdown that he was like going to kidnap me and take me away. <laughs> and just little things like that start to, and then I got on my bus and everything was fine. I woke up the next morning happy and healthy and everything was great. But that could have been a very scary experience. I mean, it was sounded like it was scary. It could have turned out uh, completely different. Could have turned out probably a lot worse. I could have also been misreading it and she could have just been a sweet lady who was trying to do a thing for her community. So I, you have those moments of not quite knowing whether to trust your gut or knowing what's true or what's not true. Um, but then you have other experiences like uh, Chile, which is the, is the sort of second story. Chile, when I was there, was in the middle of their sort of biggest political upheaval since Pinochet. It was just in an incredibly vitriolic state. Protests, um, fairly aggressive police brutality, tanks rolling down the streets. Do you ever think, I just got to get out of here? Yeah, yeah. But I also have a weird piece of myself that is like drawn to that that like runs towards the fire i don't quite know why and it's definitely gonna get that's why you're cool will <laughs> yeah fine <laughs> it's definitely gonna get me killed someday but uh for now it's it has it, you know it's produced a couple of cool stories but uh 
yeah, I was in the middle of the street walking back from lunch with a uh, with two people who I was traveling with at the time, and uh, out of no- there was uh, like a sort of a handful of protesters were crossing the street with us. Out of nowhere, like a tank rolled around the corner, and cops came out of nowhere and pepper sprayed the protesters, but sort of like hit me in the process. And I just got absolutely whacked and just couldn't see. And there are cars rolling by in the street, honking their horns and freaking out. And uh, I was blind, like just had no capacity to do anything productive. And I'm just standing in the middle of a busy intersection in a city the size of New York or Atlanta. right? And yeah, uh, some lady pulled me off to the side, sprayed some sort of solution in my eyes wiped off my face and was like, Toto bien? And I was like, Toto bien? And she just ran away. It's just so like, there are these beautiful little moments of people in the worst possible situations showing up as incredible humans and they're, and then not asking for anything. I never saw that woman again. And so they're just, I don't know, just moments like that that I, I will never forget little things like that. Now you have this bank of stories that it sounds like that you could just go on and on sharing them and they've touched you in um in such a great way um so you come so you have to end your travels and um at least temporarily uh so what's next for you yeah right now my entire focus is on building out the community around baggage claim uh so i'm i'm telling these stories and trying to build out a community of people who care about being an authentic person, uh, usually through travel, but not necessarily. And if I can make baggage claim work as my life, um, that is going to be my life. Go travel and tell stories and travel and tell stories and travel and tell stories and one day die. And (laughs) hopefully that'll, hopefully that'll be the ballgame. You'll have experiences like Uh, unreal if if i can the next two sort of from a travel standpoint the next two things that i i just have a weird i tend to germinate on these ideas and then get drawn into them and find myself that was how south america happened but i have two that i have a really just somewhere in my soul they i want to see happen i'm looking at a map on my wall but i have a desire to <clears throat> uh, bike across europe which is a little intense and wild, but feet in the Mediterranean in Greece up to Estonia and the Baltic states, and then back and across to uh, Portugal and the Iberian Peninsula. That just is so somewhere in there. Because the beautiful thing about biking, sometimes when you travel in South America or anywhere and you're on a bus, you see these places pass by and you just kind of want to stop off. On a bike, you bike 20 miles a day, you just get off the bike and check out this little village. In fact, on most days, you're not going to be in a big city. You're going to be in this funky little place. And so something about that is just the idea of like drinking vodka with people in Estonia. It just sounds so cool to me. <laughs> so into it. Well, I can't wait to read about that one day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll hope we get there. What's your other uh, gotta have, de- gotta get to destination? Uh, Sub-Saharan Africa has a huge draw on me. It feels like um, like a black hole in of knowledge in my brain. I I know I have a very weird skill set, which is 
this only is cool at parties because I actually don't know many things about these countries, but I can list, I can just like, if you ask me to, I could just name every country in the world. I don't quite know why I can do that, but I can. But anyway, Africa is like this black hole where I know where things are, but I don't know, I don't know how it came to be that way. And I, if something happens when you're there, you can kind of, first of all, you can learn about the history, but being on the ground sort of makes a real, oh, this is the impact that this experience had on this part of the culture. And here's the result of that. And so I have a, Africa just is this, this project in my head of, of learning culturally. While I was in South America, and actually the idea for biking across Europe came from this guy who I met who had biked from oh some Scandinavian country. I think I think he was Swedish, but I'm not 100% sure. But he biked down through Europe and then like hopped on a boat and then biked the entire uh, west coast of Africa, like down Cotava and all that. Absolutely insane! One of the coolest things I've ever heard. So that that is what it, it was an original content. The idea of biking across Europe. Well, you have created this uh, community, and you're trying to expand it. And so, share with our listeners. You know what? How can they engage with you? Follow you? Listen to your podcast and all of that? Yeah, absolutely. So the podcast is called Baggage Claim. It's uh, the tagline is travel stories. No one tells it's a black and yellow logo. You'll find it on whatever platform you're listening to this on. <laughs> and the website is heybaggageclaim.com. I'm Hey Will Conway on everything. Baggage Claim is Hey uh, Baggage Claim on everything. But the one other thing that folks can do if they want to know more about the community I'm building is they can actually send a text message to... Um, so they would text community, the word community, to 332-877-9540. And I, will, I actually call everybody who does that. I have a similar keyword on my show. And I'll, I'll give them the link to the, uh, the Authentic Travelers community, as well as uh, the podcast and some various other things. That's great. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Amazing. So, Will, I started off saying how cool you were, and you are smart and cool and uh, just successful in so many ways. And it's been so nice to have you as a guest today. I feel like I learn things that um, every time I do a podcast, I feel like, you know, I get to share stories and, and learn things. And we never, if I did not have this podcast, we never would have connected. And so it's the beauty about it, kind of like the beauty of you traveling. You met uh, so many different people. And so thank you for being a guest today. It's been such a pleasure. I love that. Thank you so much for having me, Polly. This has been a blast. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People podcast. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe, listen, rate, or share with others. I look forward to being with you next time on Stories Connect People podcast.